0: Welcome to Tarot for the End of Times, a podcast where we utilize the tarot as a tool to navigate through epochs of deep change. My name is Sarah Cargill. I'm an artist, cultural worker, and your host throughout the duration of this series. In each episode, I'll take a look at the archetypal figures presented in the major arcana cards from the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck, To discuss what each card has to say about navigating through cycles of change, chaos, and instability. Throughout each episode, I'll offer reflection questions and suggestions for exercises that might support you in inviting the energy and wisdom of these archetypes into your daily life and practice. If you'd like to support this podcast and the person who makes it, you can make a monthly donation through my page on anchor.fm. Your generous act of community care and reciprocity helps me to access the resources I need to make projects like this possible and sustainable. You can also support this work by sharing this podcast with your friends and loved ones, and most importantly, by tuning in. Thanks for joining me. Hi everyone, in light of the themes encompassed by the Empress card, I wanted to take a moment of pause to express my gratitude to everyone who's been tuning in, sponsoring this work, and sharing the little nuggets that resonate with you on social media. Shout out to folks listening in California, Colorado, Maryland, Germany, Canada, Slovenia, and the UK. I see you. While I'd like to maintain some of the magic that comes with the disembodied voice, at the end of the day, I am just a 31-year-old Black queer femme who's really into tarot, talking to myself in a closet. So thank you for your engagement and support and for grounding this experience in human connection, especially at a time when it's so challenging to meet folks in person. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, my handle is at she is not a Virgo. I totally invite you to drop in and say, Hey, parenthetically, my Instagram handle is not meant to be Virgo shade. And in fact was suggested by a dear friend and one of my favorite Virgos on this planet. So Virgos, y'all are amazing. Thank you for giving us Beyonce and for making sure that we all have the correct zoom link. If you're interested in learning about other projects I have my hands in, you are welcome to visit my website at saratcargill.com, And of course, all of this information can be found on my page at anchor.fm forward slash sarah-cargill. Without further ado, let's begin today's episode. Upon the first signs of dawn, the high priestess rises from her post at the gates to close the portal between our world and the spiritual realm. She takes down the pomegranate-studded veil that once billowed between the pillars of Boaz and Jashin to fashion a luxurious new robe. The sobering stone platform that once supported her meditating body is now decorated with soft, brightly colored velvet pillows, including one embroidered with the emblem of Venus, and plushy back support to bear her reclining body as she prepares for a period of delicious repose. The Empress has had quite an evening after learning that not all stillness is restful, the empress guards the portal back to the natural, physical realm. The moonlit, glowing orb that once crowned the head of the high priestess is replaced by a new crown, a constellation of 12 stars representing the celestial bodies that we commune with from afar and the 12 months of the year that shape our cycles on earth. Sheaves of wheat sprout from where her feet touch the soil, a symbol of fertility and resurrection, and is watered by the stream that flows from a short distance away. The life-generating stream, protected by the lush old-growth forest that lines the riverbank, pools behind her. Not always, but often depicted as an expectant parent in the last stages of pregnancy, the archetype of the empress signifies abundance, how we create it, and how we must learn to enjoy it while it's in season. This archetype marks the shift from the Virgo energy of the high priestess into the energy of earthly Aphrodite. The empress is a lavishly feminine archetype ruled by Venus and the astrological sign of Taurus. She exudes and luxuriates in Venusian delights, joyful creative projects, sensual explorations, desire, art, children, dance, and music all fall under her domain. She smells of rich soil heated by the afternoon sun, lush greens, wild roses, and the fruits of her labor. Pomegranates, a fruit associated with Persephone, the Greek goddess of spring and the underworld, represents both fertility and death. The pomegranates that pattern the robe of the empress represents her connection to cycles of death and rebirth. The empress is vibrationally aligned with the energy of abundance and therefore has no trouble attracting it. This empowers her with an air of ease and groundedness because she knows that there is no need to fret over something that's already hers. At the same time, the empress holds up a scepter to signify that if met with the opportunity of a threat, she will be ready to defend what's hers. She's not afraid of setting firm boundaries to protect her joy and all that dwells in her domain. Because sexism continues to drop the same boring beat that aggressively drowns out voices of nuance, complexity, and reason, the empress is often described as an archetypal feminine foil to the emperor. While there's some merit to this comparison, this binary framework can be limiting. From this standpoint, the empress is considered to be the archetype that draws her power from the authority and agency she wields within the domestic and private sphere, as well as natural settings, while the emperor represents far-reaching power and authority that extends beyond the home and into the public sphere, influencing human-made structures like our political systems. Already... We can begin to see the problematic delineation that a sexist framework draws between public and private men's work and women's work. This isn't to say that there isn't a relationship that exists between the empress and the emperor archetypes. There is. They are both, in many respects, caretakers who draw their authority through the responsibility of nurturing guiding and protecting their people and that which falls under their domain. But the problem is that only one archetype, the empress, is typically described as a caretaker, while the emperor is described as an authority figure. The empress is heavily associated with quote, untamed natural wilderness, what is often a euphemism for unruly or frivolous women and femmes waiting to be conquered and domesticated, while the emperor is associated with civilization and the structures that uphold public domain. This narrative and gendered binarism is so ubiquitous and normalized that I even found myself getting ensnared in the web of hegemonic constructs and comparisons. It happens, cause we all live within the system, but I wanted to take an opportunity to offer an alternative perspective. Both the mother archetype of the empress and the father archetype of the emperor deals with themes of authority, leadership, and protecting what's yours. While the father archetype of the emperor speaks to the ways in which public leadership roles are rooted in our capacity to care for others on a structural level, the empress teaches us to cultivate these skills within our immediate intimate circles. There is a reason why the empress appears before the emperor, establishing authority from a place of domination Fear and control ignores the central principle that enlightened leadership is an expression of care work. We have all seen the destruction that takes place when leadership lacks compassion, deep listening, creativity, witnessing, and the ability to soothe the big, ragey feelings that cloud our judgment. The Empress teaches us how to prioritize and offer ourselves the care that we need so that we may extend that care to others. When we don't take the time to unpack sexist implications lurking in the language we use to describe a card like the Empress, the profundity of pleasure and self-care can be entirely lost on us. Black American lesbian writer, womanist, and civil rights activist Audre Lorde made it plain and simple when she said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Indeed, as we witness how this global pandemic continues to be mishandled in the United States, it's clear that we live in a system that pays no mind to the human cost of capitalism so long as profits are maintained. Within this context, we can see how self-care and rest is a direct refusal of empire and the systems that maintain it. Self-care is an act of self-preservation and the karmic lessons connected to the empress concerns our relationship to self-worth and value and what we do to protect our most valuable resources, especially non-renewable resources like our time and to a certain extent our energy. These are very Venusian themes. At the time that I'm recording this, we're experiencing a Venus retrograde in the sign of Gemini, a sign that governs communication and the technologies, networks, and relationships through which we practice this skill. With the repopularization of astrology in mainstream culture, I can't help but notice the energy of collective fear and dread that gets attached to retrograde seasons. The larger function of retrograde season is to open up opportunities to review and integrate the lessons and decisions we made while the planets were direct. When we consider the larger function of retrogrades alongside the standards of productivity culture, which I mean the collective normalization of measuring one's self-worth against how much one produces, it elucidates where this fear and dread might stem from. Taking the time to reconsider or review our choices is not an admission of failure, though it's completely understandable why we might feel that way given our collective context both the Empress card and the Venus retrograde are here to ground us in the natural rhythm of our collective cycles of growth and integration. So perhaps you might take time in this season to contemplate the ways in which you habitually communicate or silence your needs. What's been working for you? What needs to be put to rest, reevaluated, or transformed? What dynamics and stories drain you of your resources, and what choices can you make right now to address the source of your energy leaks? How do you share your abundance with others? Is it truly abundance that you're sharing, or are you offering yourself up as a sacrificial martyr on the altar of someone else's hopes and dreams? Similarly to how the High Priestess teaches us that we can only meet spirit or the universe with the depth at which we have met ourselves, the Empress teaches us that we can only extend our care as far as we have met our own needs. She doesn't make a habit of pouring into your cup with her own chalice. Instead, she generously grants you access to her abundance and all that runneth over. She's able to give from a place of true generosity, not expectation, because she readily gives what overflows without draining resources that she needs for her own survival. The empress prioritizes sustainability and is deft in striking a delicate balance between independence and interdependence, a skill that will certainly be of use when rugged individualism eventually runs itself into the ground. Sexism and femphobia continue to concoct narratives that devalue and undercut the profound strength it takes to develop and maintain our softness. The empress won't entertain any foolishness, but instead challenges toxic masculinity with a simple question. Do you have any idea what it took to get this soft? In the time that I've spent reading tarot cards, I've always interpreted the pillow with the Venus embroidery on it to be a shield and not a pillow. While preparing my notes for this episode, I cross-referenced my interpretation with the interpretation of other tarot practitioners, and it seems like the general consensus is that the object in question is a pillow. However, I'd like to offer an interpretation that might add to our understanding of the Empress. I occasionally work with an oracle deck called the Nocturna Oracle by an artist named Megan Wireweaden. She has drawn up a gorgeous collection of nocturnal animals, mostly flora and fauna from the Pacific Northwest region in the U.S., and has added wonderful descriptions that reveal the wisdom of these animals and plants. You can find this deck on, you guessed it, Etsy. One of my favorite cards from this deck is the Jellyfish, which is a card that often reappears when my rigidity or desire to control outcomes chips away at my spirit and drains my energy. She goes on to explain that, like many deep sea creatures, the jellyfish's softness is what allows for them to withstand the intense pressure of their environment. As one of the oldest species on earth, it's clear that softness works and is vital to survival. Softness is what keeps them alive. Similarly, The empress's Venusian softness is protective and a source of enduring strength. The empress is one iteration of a much older archetype whose roots can be found across human cultures spanning millennia. We see iterations of the Empress in the Greco-Roman mythologies of Aphrodite, Venus, and Persephone, the stories of Oshun in the Yoruba religion, and the tales of the Sumerian goddess Inanna. For brevity's sake, I will focus on the story of Inanna for this episode, particularly because her story is so connected to the energy of Venus retrograde. I also want to credit Canadian astrologer extraordinaire Chani Nicholas, whose work helped me to make the connection between the planetary movements of Venus with the story of Inanna when she wrote about Inanna's descent during the last Venus retrograde cycle that occurred in October 2018 in the sign of Scorpio. I'll be sure to link that article to the episode description on my anchor page. The Descent of Inanna is a story that chronicles the journey of the Sumerian goddess of love, sensuality, fertility, war, and justice. Inanna is the incarnation of the planet Venus in goddess form, and her story helps us make meaning of the Venus retrograde cycles that occur once every 18 months or so. During a 40-day Venus retrograde cycle, Venus transitions from being an evening star into a morning star and becomes invisible to us for a few weeks before she is reborn as a morning star. The story of Inanna, Queen of the Heavens, describes this celestial tale as a story of a goddess traveling to the underworld to reckon with her sister Ereshkigal, goddess of the underworld, who is often interpreted as Inanna's shadow self. Ereshkigal, deeply wounded and inconsolably embittered by the loss and betrayal of unacknowledgment, forces Inanna to pass a series of tests before being admitted into the underworld to visit her. Inanna must strip herself bare, removing every symbol of beauty and status, including her clothing, jewelry, scepter, breastplate, and crown before passing through each gate of the underworld. When Inanna demands an explanation for the series of indignities, Neti, the chief gatekeeper of the underworld, replies that the ways of the underworld are perfect and not up for questioning. Upon facing Ereshkigal, naked and humbled, Inanna is swiftly annihilated with her sister's death stare, and her body is hung on meat hooks, left to rot for eternity. But after three days, Ninshabor, Inanna's faithful advisor who was left with instructions to send help should her return be delayed, visits Inanna's father Enki for help upon Inanna's conspicuous disappearance. Enki then instructs and sends two Gala, or Underworld demons, to descend into the Underworld to provide salve for Ereshkigal's deepest wounds. They join Ereshkigal in visceral expressions of her pain, wailing in a corral of call and response, tending to her longing to be witnessed and heard. In a moment of release and gratitude, Ereshkigal offers the two gala a gift. Following the instructions of Enki, the gala ask for Inanna's corpse and are finally able to retrieve her from the underworld, and she is thus reborn. Do you know what it took for me to get this soft? The story of Inanna's descent gives appropriate weight to this question. The Empress, represented by the number three, speaks to the birth of a third self by way of reconciling her deepest wounds with her deepest joys. By merging both light and shadow, she is reintroduced to her wholeness and the true nature of her power. There are so many delectable ways to utilize and tap into the energy of the empress card. When she appears upright in your spread, it's probably a great time to take note of the abundance that you have built around you and to plop yourself into a well of gratitude. If it's accessible to you, take advantage of the bounty that springtime has to offer nature has a way of gently supporting us in accessing embodied gratitude when everything seems so bleak. When the Empress card appears in reverse, you may be called to examine the creative blocks that grate against your sense of contentment. What needs to be expressed, witnessed, The Empress card in reverse also invites us to mind our codependent tendencies and to examine with care and compassion where those tendencies might come from. In what areas do you feel under-resourced or overly dependent on other people's validation? Do you know how worthy you already are? Oftentimes, Engaging with mother figures and mother energy can bring old wounds to the surface, the oldest and most persistent wounds. The Empress card calls upon us to learn what it might mean to mother ourselves. What measures can we take to become our own witnesses and to hold ourselves with sturdy tenderness? Perhaps a few minutes of soothing self-touch reading your favorite poems aloud, or cutting yourself a plate of fresh fruit just the way you like it. If accessible, you might consider taking a moment to connect with the maternal spirits that inhabit our natural settings. The ocean is generous and has the capacity to hold grief that is too much for our tiny human bodies to bear alone. She meets our tears with open arms, offering saltwater hugs to remind us that we too can cleanse ourselves with the salt water that runs down our cheeks. As we come to a close, I invite you to offer yourself the care and sweetness that you so deserve. Thanks for listening.